Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the gift of your Son and the, the um, focus that we have um, on this season, remembering what you've done for us in Christ, that you did the seemingly impossible. Well, you did the impossible, that the second person of the Trinity would set aside the glory that he shared with you and come in the form of a, a child, a baby, to be fully man and fully God on earth for one purpose, to die and to inaugurate a new humanity redeemed in him. We thank you for the grace and the mercy that you've shown us in purchasing your people at such a high cost. And as we celebrate this time, as we um, enjoy the music and the decorations and the gifts and the family time, help us to focus our hearts on, on you and what you've done and how magnificent and unreal the gospel truly is. What God does this, that He lays down His life for His people, and yet that's exactly what you did. And we're thankful, and we want to have thankful hearts. And so we pray that as we come to your word this morning, that we come to it with an attitude of um, awareness of the mercy shown to us in Christ, and the desire to reflect Him truly, and um, authentically, not with painted on smiles, but joy that wells up from the heart that's reborn in Jesus. We ask for this this morning in His name. Amen. Amen. Alright, we're in Exodus 31. Continuing on our journey through Exodus. Exodus 31, verse 1. We've been going through... Tabernacle statutes, God's very precise, very um, detailed commands concerning the house of worship that He uh, is calling for to meet with His people in the midst of the camp for the whole purpose that He will be their God and they will be His people. And we came to the end of the tabernacle statutes with the anointing oil and the incense last week. We talked about the particularness of those formulas and, and um, I, I think they're here. And you may be, welcome! There it is, alright. That is the latecomer's wave. There we go, alright. Even the wave was late. I know, everybody's kind of, are we really going to do this? Are we really going to... We're doing it! <laughs> okay, there it is. All right. So we have the wave done. Not very well. Well, practice makes perfect. The next person will get it right. All right. Well, welcome. Glad you're here. Really, it was lots of fun. Okay. Uh, and so we had gone through the anointing oil and the incense last time, and the formulas involved there and the particularness with which God had uh, designated those, uh, those two things. And we're moving into... Great, 
here's the work that needs to be done. Who's going to do it? Right? Moses' job description was not architect. It was not craftsman. He was a prophet and leader. Who's going to do this? So in chapter 31, let's look and see. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahasamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the seat and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Not only does he give the Israelites the details and specifications for building the tabernacle, but he also determines who's going to do it, who will oversee and perform the work. What's the first word in this chapter? Okay, what's the first word God says in this chapter? C. Thank you. You know, for being an Amil guy, you sure are a literalist. I don't know. C. C. This is not an exclamation uh, like a child brings home a good grade. See what I've done. This is not that kind of exclamation. This is a command to Moses to consider, inspect, and observe what God is doing. And what's he doing? What's he doing here? What's he doing here? Calling people for service. He's calling people for service. Thank you. (laughs) I don't want to be a littleist now. I'm a little scared. Um, What? He's calling people for service. He's calling one guy by name, isn't he? He's calling one guy by name. And everybody knows him. And he's calling him out. What does that do later on for the people who are working under this guy? What what kind of effect do you think that's going to have as as the work gets hard and laborious and and all the ah, deadlines are on here and i got to get this done? What does that do? when they look to this guy and get grumpy. Well, his position is very clear, so they have to respect him and obey him because it's designated by God. Okay. What's the added bonus there? Yes, God put him in authority, but something else, I just don't think he's doing this right. They trust that it's right. How do they know that? Because God appointed him. Because God appointed him and? 
He's giving them the ability, the wisdom. In fact, he's giving him four things, isn't he? It's interesting. These gifts of the Spirit that he's giving this guy. Um, the name, as they're working under this guy, the name uh, Bezalel literally means in the shadow of God. In the shadow of God. And shadow has a connotation of the presence, the protection of God. Don't go against him as he's telling you to, to uh, sow that again. <laughs> To, to shape that wood again. He's under the shadow and the protection of God. God has anointed him, has given him his spirit to do the work. Trust him. Um, this is a guy who, whose very name means under God's care and defense. There's a lot of significance in names in the Old Testament. Have you noticed? Very significant. Um. Here it's the shadow of God. Now, now before we get all giddy about his genealogy, what is his genealogy? He's the son of some guy, the son of Hur. Do you remember the name Hur anywhere? Not Ben-Hur. Not talking about Charlton Heston. Holding up Moses' arms, Genesis 17, the battle with, the, uh, with Amalek in the plains. And he's on the hillside, and as long as his arms are raised with the staff, and, and his arms are up... Welcome! We're so glad you're here. As long as his... It's like, are we going to do it again? Um, and they did. Okay. As long as his arms are up, the battle... It just seems with this seating that that is just a fitting response. It just, it just feels that way. Um, as long as his hands are raised, they win the battle on the plains, right? And it was one guy, her, of the tribe of Judah... And the other guy was um, Aaron, the priest, right? He's holding his up. We don't know if it's the same guy. And lots of people said, oh, see, we have this one guy. It's from the kingly tribe of Judah. And it was the same guy on the mountain. Maybe, maybe it was. Let's not develop an entire new branch of her theology off of this, off of this deal. It may be the case. Some people get all wrapped up in uh, endless genealogies. And so, but, that, but that's going on here that this guy is from Judah, uh, and um, he's, he's gifted. God gifts him. He may be from the same guy, he may not be, and he may be related to Charlton Heston somehow. All right. <laughs> Verse 3. Here's the thing that, is, um, that, 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 that really struck me about it, and we've touched on it already. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. What God has called him to do, God has equipped him for the task. What God has commissioned him to do, God gives him the ability to do. Command what you will, then give what you command. It's Augustine's great statement in the Confessions caused a big uproar called the Pelagian Controversy, Pelagian Heresy. Command what you will, then give what you command. And we see that going on here. There are four things. What, what is given to our buddy in the shadow of God? What's given to him? Four things I have. What do you see? Intelligence. Okay, knowledge. Understanding. Understanding, intelligence, kind of 
the, the translations are a little weird here. They use different words for the same thing. The, the ESV kind of takes the RSV, the old uh, revised standard uh, language, and the NASB kind of takes the something else standard, um, 1901, I think, standard. And, and they have different words, but they mean really the same thing. In the ESV, it says ability. In the NASB 95 edition, it says uh, with wisdom. So ability and wisdom are kind of linked there. Um, and wisdom and ability, what have we discussed before, wisdom in the Old Testament? What does that mean? Is it just sit around going, yes, and I know that, da, 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 and write judgments and all this kind of Is it just that? What else is wisdom used for? Is it just intellectual? It's applying that knowledge that you have to life. It's applying knowledge that you have skillfully in whatever it is. Be a wise nurse. You can be a wise plumber. You can even be a wise lawyer. It happens. They're out there. You can, they are. I've heard of them. Um, you can have wisdom in the task for which you are built. Finance. Mothering. Fathering. <laughs> parenting in general. You can be wise in those things. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Wisdom, uh, for a person to be wise, is to be skillful in whatever task is before that person. All right, somebody said intelligence and understanding. Those two are also linked among the translations in English. Understanding and intelligence. What, what, is, what does that mean? Understand, what's the difference between wisdom and understanding? Do we have a difference? Yes, that's exactly right. Does yours say discernment in your translation? Oh, I didn't even read it. Okay, you didn't even read it. Okay. Um, yes, understanding is discernment. So wisdom is applied data and facts, uh, or, uh, well, actually, we'll do it this way. Wisdom is applied understanding. Um, the word means discerning and perceptive. Wisdom is applied understanding. I get how this works, therefore I'm going to work how I understand it to work. Okay? Knowledge. What's knowledge? Like facts. facts, data, schematics. Um, Music sheets, that's data, you know. How do you understand it? How do I understand the mode of the music, for example, you're going to be, be a wise musician? How do I understand the, the interpretation of the, or what's the meaning behind the, um, the, the, um, the work that's being done so that I apply it rightly? Knowledge is data and facts. Understanding is discerning the data and facts. In a, and then wisdom is applying the understanding of the knowledge to the test. You see how this works. I get data, I discern it, I apply it wisely and skillfully. This is the range of growth, this is the range of, of, uh, of godly skill in whatever task is set before these guys. What's the fourth thing? What kind? All. All. So we know his task. We know the knowledge and data that he has to get. We know the, where his focus of understanding is going to be, his discernment. And we know where he's going to apply it. That's the category in which God has gifted him. All craftsmanship. It's a Pinterest dream is what that is. I mean, <laughs> uh, God has given him all of this 
to, to do the task of the tabernacle. And they're all gifts from the Spirit of God. Knowledge is obtained to gain understanding, to use wisely in the task at hand. And it's in this case, craftsmanship. Um, as a side note, uh, the smart folks tell us that uh, the, the Yahweh's building of the tabernacle here is kind of a unique situation in the ancient Near East. Because in the mythology of, uh, say, Mesopotamia, for example, the gods built the tabernacle. Uh, there's one, uh, one story of, of the, the, you know, the, they were polytheistic culture. They were surrounded by all these polytheistic cultures. One story has all of these gods coming down from heaven to, uh, to build Marduk's temple. And it took them a year to do it. That's not the case here. God sets the design, sets the formulas, sets the pattern. And what does he do? commissions his people to do it and then fills them with his own spirit to get it done. He works through his creation. It's a different mindset, isn't it? What implication does that have to these people? As I'm sanding this piece of wood to go on you know, uh, the, the basin pedestal out in the front, I'm doing it knowing that the Spirit of God is upon me to give me knowledge and understanding and wisdom to do this rightly. And it's holy. It's temple work. This mundane task is temple work. Do you think that way? Because obviously there are New Testament parallels here. I mean, do you, I mean, you probably could go ahead and tell me what they are right now. There are New Testament parallels here. Um, God gifts not only one man to oversee the work, but all of the workers who would be learning and working under him. Look at verse 6. He didn't just put Bezalel out there alone. Why not? It's too much. It's a big deal. This is a big job. Look at this list. Metal work. Um, woodwork, seamstress stuff going on here. What's you know? What, uh, there's all kinds of sewing and all kinds of tap, tapestries, tapestries. Uh, all kinds of all kinds of, of of various different things. It's a big deal. He can't do it all, so he provides a helper, and he calls his assistant out by name. Aholiab. Incidentally, if you're looking for names for children later on, Bezalel and Aholiab, great names. Bezalel and the shadow of God. His assistant helping him in the construction of the tabernacle. The name means the tent of the Father. I don't want to build a theology off of that. I just think it's cool. And later we see that Aholiab was a skillful engraver as well. Um, the, the, the word able in verse 6 in the ESV can mean skillful, and ability in verse 6 can mean wisdom. So skillful wisdom. Literally, wisdom here means wise at heart, from the heart applied rightly, from the heart discerning, from the heart there's knowledge that is discerned and applied. All right, why were they wise? Why were they wise, these, these craftsmen? 
Why? What does it say? Because again, He fills them with the Spirit of God. God makes them wise. God has given them wisdom. Notice that wisdom is not some mystical thing here. They're not all sitting under a tree with their fingers in properly positioned, whatever it is, and umming to themselves for wisdom, seeking nothingness and peace and harmony and no desire. This is very practical. Wisdom applied um, with, a, with a saw, with a chisel. It's the ability to do stuff well. And then he lists all the articles of the tabernacle that we've worked through in pretty much the same order that we've addressed them. And notice that all of the tabernacle articles here are enclosed at the beginning and at the end with a phrase, All that I have commanded you. Command what you will, then give what you command. All parts of the tabernacle and its construction have been specified by God. It's to be done His way and only His way. He gives them knowledge, understanding, wisdom, and a task in which to utilize all of it. Yes? Turn to Isaiah 11. Incidentally, what are they building? Tabernacle. Tabernacle. What is that? So the mobile dwelling place of God. The mobile dwelling place for God, of, of God. God inhabits the tabernacle, and it's in the <laughs> midst of His people so that they may commune with Him. Look at verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Who's him? Well, this is Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. And these prophecies, specifically here, uh, the editors have put at the top, the the righteous reign of the branch, the branch of Jesse. The idea is the Messianic prophecy. Okay, We're talking specifically about a person who will be called out to do a task. Right? And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Beginning of wisdom. Um, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. He's given a task. And the Spirit of God rests upon him to fulfill the task, to have knowledge, to have understanding, to have wisdom. And this servant, filled with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, by his spirit, he also calls by name. Uh, Matthew 1, 21, She shall bear a son, she shall call his name Jesus, for he shall, he will, save his people from their sin. There's no, he might, 
save his people from their sin, even though I filled him with knowledge, understanding, wisdom for the task. There's no, um, it'd be really cool and make things very easy for me if he could save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their I'm not going to be up here wringing my hands whether or not this is going to get accomplished. He will save his people from their sins. <clears throat> Notice that the people he's saving aren't better than anybody else. They're also in sin, right? They also need to be saved from the judgment of the holy God because of their sin. And Jesus is named as the man appointed for the job. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus would say, quoting Isaiah in the later passage, to accomplish a task. What's the task? What's the task he's accomplishing? Save his people from their sin, but what's the end result? What's he building? There's a hint. What's he building? What? His kingdom, what else? A temple. Out of what? Living stones. People, his people that he's saving from their sin. He takes them out of the ore, boils them down, purifies them, and uses them. Yes, boils them. Uses them, fires them maybe. Would that be better? Is that how it works? Does it boil? Please look at me. You have no clue what you just said. That is not the way you get out precious metal. Um, you burn it out, you purify it, you pull off the dross, and you build something, right? Yes? Chelsea were here, she'd say, yes, you idiot. How did you not know that? Um, so yes, you, you fire it up and build something. What is he building out of us? For in him, wait, that's not right. He's building uh, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In Him, you also are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Where is workmanship? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Command what you will, then give what you command. God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These people aren't better than anybody else. They need to be saved from their sin. Jesus is the man appointed for the job. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He's the first stone of the temple. He came and tabernacled among us, John would say in John 1. Turn to Colossians 1, in fact. Turn, 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 go ahead and turn there. In Exodus, we see that God filled people with the Spirit so that they would have the skills needed to build the tabernacle and all of the inner pieces required to glorify God among the nations. Colossians 1. It's Philippians, Colossians, yeah. Colossians 1, 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled. What does that mean, filled? By what? Food? Who's filling? God with the, with the Spirit. And then what are the gifts of the Spirit that he's praying that they be filled with? I'm ending on a preposition. Right? Okay, it doesn't matter. All right. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, what is it? Knowledge, will, and they may be filled with knowledge of His will, 
facts, data, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Discern it and apply it. For what task? To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The knowledge isn't gained to look what I know. The knowledge isn't gained to, uh, to thump others that don't know as much as I do, you do. It's to discern what it means and to apply it. That's why Paul says knowledge alone puffs up. It's not going out anywhere. <laughs> it's not being used anywhere. Uh, knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. Sounds like all craftsmanship to me. Every good work. I, I do the, the study of the Bible well. I don't do kindness well. You don't get that pass. I don't get that pass. Tammy doesn't let me stay in that pass. I, don't, I have to do every good work. I work on one. I'm, I have to be focused. I work on one. I, I get sort of competent in something, and then I've got to move on to this. Well, maybe. Jonathan Edwards kind of approached it that way. But I think, really, it's everything all at once because my kindness informs my study. My gentleness informs my wisdom and how I apply it, you see. My self-control informs how I understand the, the church being together, all, all of that. Um, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Why increase? As I'm applying the knowledge that I have and understanding that I gain from that knowledge, as I'm applying it, I gain an additional knowledge, which increases my understanding, which increases my wisdom, which increases my knowledge, which increases my understanding, which increases my wit. You see how this works. This is growing to mature manhood until we all attain to the unity of the faith, right? To the full measure of the stature of Christ. That's the whole idea of maturity is I learn I discern, I chew on it, I grow in wisdom in applying it, then I learn more through that experience. And then it, it's a cycle. It's a constant growing. Paul sees once again, by his Spirit, God filling his people with knowledge and understanding and wisdom. Why? Because it's a natural result of our being in love with Jesus. It's a natural result of that. Because we love Him more, we want to please Him more so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, increasing in knowledge, which increases in understanding, which increases in wisdom, which demonstrates that we love Jesus more and more and more. I study ecclesiology, not to thump on Methodists who do it wrong, but to demonstrate a desire to please Christ and get it right. I don't learn things. I don't, I don't try to discern things to thump someone who may disagree with me and have a different take on it. I do it because I want to get it right. I want to be pleasing to the Lord. I want to walk in a manner worthy of Him. I study uh, eschatology. That's what Scripture says about the end, by the way. I study eschatology, not to thump on guys who, who like the Left Behind series and stuff, Nicolas Cage, but because... <laughs> 
And I'm not busting on Eric, I'm just saying. <laughs> but because I want to eagerly wait for his return, because I know when I see him, I will be made like him, for I will see him as he is. That's why I want to study about the end. I have a hope. And it draws me to Jesus. It makes me want to love him more, because he's coming. I don't want to be ashamed when he gets here. That's why I study eschatology. Why do I study soteriology? How we're saved? How does that work? Not to thump those who hold to, in my view, an error regarding the sovereignty of God, but who are still my brothers in Christ. That's not why I study soteriology, how we're saved. I don't, that's not why I do it. God forbid that I ever be a stumbling block another brother with my arrogance and pride. No, I study soteriology because it humbles me. Right? How I come to Christ humbles me, not allows me to thump my chest. It causes my heart to break for those who remain without Christ, having no hope in the world. Why me? I don't thank you. But what about these? Can you do that for them? That's the, that's the purpose of that. Draws me closer to Jesus. I need to be focused on Him and what He's done and who He is and how He works and pleading with Him for the only hope that those without Him have that they may gain knowledge and understanding and wisdom in applying it, that they may love Christ more and gain knowledge and understanding and wisdom. What does that do? It glorifies Him. That's the focus of all this. And as we are learning and growing and, and studying all these different areas of systematic theology and historical theology and biblical theology and all the different ways we can systematize and study the Bible, it's the focus of Christ that we need to be most concerned about. That's the point of it all. He gives us knowledge and understanding and wisdom from Him to come to Him. He gifts us to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the purpose of this. And He doesn't give it to us alone. I need brothers and sisters in Christ and God gives them, right? To help also in building the tent of the Father. Do you, do you see this? I need Chad Barnes and Philip Dancy to kick me in the butt every now and then when I'm sulky. And I get sulky. Uh, I need my fellow elders to pull me aside and say, what you're doing is good, and from what we can tell, pleasing to God, keep going. But hey, you might want to approach this a little differently here. I need that, and they need me to do that to them. And I need you to do that to me, and I need to do that to you, and you need each other. And this is a thing. We're building each other up. Uh, we, we, we think of the gifts of the ch in the church, and we, and we tend to go to the, the, the big ones, you know, the... When he ascended, he gave gifts to men, and, and we immediately think of the, 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 um, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, and those, oh, those are the gifts. To equip the saints, equip me. <laughs> we just sit back, equip me. I don't feel equipped. This is a waste. They didn't play my song or whatever. Uh, I, I need to be equipped. There wasn't a backbeat to that one. Um, no. Before Paul gets to the gifts that Christ gives to the church because he ascended, he says something very, very important in Ephesians 4, 7. What does he say? And grace was given 
to each one of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. You, individually, in Jesus, have been given a task, a gifting, and He's given you knowledge and understanding and wisdom to grow the body in love. That's that's our task. That's our job. That's our joy to do. Whatever that is, it's temple work. It's tabernacle work. We're building a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The gift He has given you for the body of Christ and the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel is precious. It was purchased with His own blood. If you are in Christ, He has filled you with knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And if you lack it, if you lack it, ask it of Him, James tells us, because He's not stingy with it. He gives it freely. What does that do if I lack wisdom? It drives me once again to Christ, which is where I need to be anyway. What does it say at the end of Ephesians 1? And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And who is he? Colossians 2.3 tells us that God has given us Christ as our head and in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, wisdom and knowledge, I, in my view, that's what we call a merism. You know, merism we talked about from A to Z. If you say the youngest to the oldest, it means everybody in between. Wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all of the knowledge, all of the understanding, and all of the wisdom. It's in Him, this rich treasure in the person and work of Jesus that's been given to you in the church to do the work of building a dwelling place for God. We increase in knowledge not to be puffed up, but to be built into a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. Do you see what the Lord has done? Do you see it? Will you be part of it? Any questions or comments? Hmm. Knowledge is way easier than applying it. putting our own desires away. We we've usually have discerned it and then push it down because applying it is just too frustrating. Because it's all nice to talk in theory about, hey, love each other. That's a wonderful statement. <laughs> and that's true in any relationship. In any relationship. Not just... Uh, I know. <laughs> Actually, I'm glad you clarified. But anyway, um, that's true in any relationship. Friendships, you have that. Um, fam- oh my gosh. Yeah, family, you have that. A great testing ground for knowledge, understanding, and wisdom 
as Christmas Eve and Christmas. <laughs> and all of the time leading up to that, planning for Christmas Eve and Christmas. And Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving. That's very true. Thanksgiving as well. And yesterday. Um, it's, it's a test. Do you love Jesus enough to wisely apply, uh, be at peace with all men as long as it's uh, up to you, as much as it's up to you, be at peace with all men. It's a test. Do I love Jesus in applying? Speak the truth in love. All of those things are there. They're running around in our heads again and again and again, but applying it wisely, that's a, that is, that's why James is such an important book. If you lack wisdom, ask. Which means be on your knees. That's right. All right. Have I kept this long enough? It's only 1010. I can't, I can't also help but think about Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Mm-hmm. For by grace are you saved, and not of yourselves. It's a gift, not of words. For we are his workmanship, mm-hmm. created in Christ Jesus and do good works. So it's, mm-hmm. it's that... <laughs> wisdom and knowledge and understanding being poured into us, mm-hmm. you know, he's crafting us up, being built built together. Right. Yeah. He's the ultimate craftsman. <coughs> building people together. Mm-hmm. Wood is an unruly medium of uh, of building things. It tw- it twists and warps and it's really a, a pain to, to shape it. A modern art, yes. And, and well, there's that. It's like music. You play it twice, call it jazz whenever you mess up. Um, <laughs> You can't do that in wood because a chicken coop will look like this whenever I build it. And it kind of works because it's aiming for the chicken so it falls over and kills them all, which hasn't happened yet, and I'm pretty excited about that. Think about crafting people. Crafting people. Leadership is a difficult thing because you guys have all these people that you've got to kind of mobilize together and do the thing. Christ is the ultimate craftsman in that he makes them willing in the day of his power, it says in the psalm. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. Let's pray, um, and, and, and we'll go into the main service. Father, for my part, I'm very encouraged by this passage. Because I know that individually I'm not left alone to do what you've called me to do. And I'm encouraged that others, too, have been given knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, and certainly have been given Christ, in whom are all the treasures of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, to do what you've called them to do for building up the body. It's a plan that will not and cannot fail. There are bumps. There are imperfections. There, are, there is sin that needs to be checked and repented. But even that moves toward your ultimate goal of displaying the glory and majesty of your justice and mercy through the church because of the work of Christ. What an encouraging thing to think about. Here at Christmas, the inauguration, the celebration of the first stone being laid in the new temple, the cornerstone, whom we can rely on for knowledge and understanding and wisdom to do what you've called us to do. God, would you make us willing? Would you transform us by the work of your Spirit to do what only you can do? It's impossible for us. 
but you've called us to do the impossible because you have equipped us to do it and are leading us in doing it and giving us the, the wisdom to do it. Father, let us rest in the humility knowing that any good that we do comes from you. It's not our own doing. It's not to get medals on our chest, but to reflect the beauty, the humility, and the consistent desire of Christ to honor the Father. And we want to follow in His footsteps. But we can't do it without you, so we ask you once again, be with us today. Help us to worship you rightly and from the heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.